Ephesians chapter 2. A couple of weeks ago when um, Pastor Werner was preaching, he, um, he made a few references, maybe just in speech, I can't re- actually fully remember, but anyway, that kind of um, sowed the seed and I felt quickened of the Lord in relation to the word temple that we find in scripture. So I want to consider with you a message that I've entitled this morning a holy temple. A holy temple. Now, if if I say the word temple, what is it that comes to your mind? Is there any specific thought that jumps to your mind if I was to say the word temple? Temple of what? <laughs> yeah, there's, aspe- there's many aspects of temple and we'll, we'll address that. But what is it that, in essence, what the, the temple is representative of? A couple of characteristics. Worship, yep, yep. Okay, I'm thinking specifically of the dwelling of God's presence. Okay? The dwelling of God's presence. And, uh, and secondly, uh, the issue of holiness because the temple is holy. So they're the two key thoughts that I want to um, just uh, lay forth there as we proceed this morning because there are two distinct features and we'll see them highlighted again as we go through this and you'll see the pattern in such a way that you'll identify these two distinctives. Now when Jesus said, uh, upon this rock I will build my church, as he spoke to Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so what we have here is a, 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 a prophetic utterance that Jesus himself will build his church. Amen to that. Because we realise that this is not a work of men, this is not something that's fabricated from men. We are talking about the church of Jesus Christ. And it's something that was in the mind of God, something that was clearly purposed by God before the foundation of the world. And so here we have it, the first reference where Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 16, upon this rock, and that rock is Christ, as we'll see, I will build my church. And so the issue of the church age is something that we today, some 2,000 years later, are a part of. We call it the church age. And Jesus is still building his church. Amen. Until that time uh, uh, will come to an end, but we we find that the the church will ultimately uh, come to fulfilment in the plan and purposes of God. But what is the church? And in the Bible, there's various terms that we can identify that highlight various aspects to us of what the church is. Okay? And so we understand it's the called out ones and, and, uh, and so we, we are the assembly of God in that sense. But there are other distinctive terms that we find in the scriptures and our text will highlight for us at least two, or actually three aspects that relate to the, the church itself. And so I want to make an emphasis on one particular phrase, but, but the, the, the very scriptures that we're going to read in a moment, and that relates to the word temple. Because as we mentioned, the temple is where God dwells. In the Old Testament, we understand the issue of the tabernacle, we understand that which relates to the temple. And we know once it was set up and built that, uh, and consecrated that God came and dwelt in the holy of holies. Because uh, So you have the dwelling place of God in the temple and it was referred to as the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. When we talk about a temple, we're talking about something sacred, something that is separate, something that is, is holy and separated from this world because of, obviously, the contamination of sin and so forth. Jesus said about his body, he said, destroy this temple 
and I will build it in three days. And so the Jews thought he was referring to the physical temple, but he was speaking about the temple of his body because the Bible says, in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. He, as the temple of God, he, uh, the Spirit of God and the fullness of the, uh, God, God incarnated was in Christ Jesus. What a, what a thought. And yet, in New Testament language, the church itself can be and is called the temple. The temple is where God dwells. And so God is in our midst. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to look at verse 19 to 22 specifically. Paul's writing and he says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Amen. See, this is such a profound portion of text and it gives us such rich revelation into the nature of the church and into the plan and purpose of God for the church, which is obviously many, there are many facets and aspects that relate to this, but here is one aspect that's being fundamentally uh, revealed to us uh, through Paul the Apostle as he writes to the church in Ephesus. And it would do us well to understand exactly what is the nature of the church because this, will, uh, this must be locked into your understanding because this will affect how you live your life. This will affect the choices and decisions you make when you begin to realise uh, your place in, this pla- in, in the church. And if you call yourself a Christian and a professing Christ and a part of the church of Jesus Christ, then you must realise what God would require of each of us in identification and profession of that. Now Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's making a great emphasis on the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And he's making specific reference to the blessing that has come under the Gentiles who are now being grafted in, amen, to the plan and purpose of God. And so here we have this, the Gentiles uh, have been granted repentance, uh, they are now uh, partakers, amen, of the divine nature and they are now being united, amen, and with God having cut a new covenant with the house of Israel and that by extension now incorporates the Jews and we have been brought together in Christ Jesus, those that are born Again, and the Bible refers to it and says uh, that we have become, uh, uh, we are part of the commonwealth of Israel. It actually says in verse 12, we are no longer aliens. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Thank God we're not aliens or strangers. You know, you thought the other thing, didn't you? You've been watching too many movies. But we are part of the commonwealth of Israel, and this is what Paul is talking about and he makes the emphasis in verse 16 where he says that we have uh, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting death to death the enmity and so thank God that this is who we are as Gentiles now grafted in part of the people of God And Paul picks this up and as he continues to write in verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. There's the word again, aliens. We're no longer aliens. We're no longer strangers. But now we are uh, fellow citizens. With the saints and members of the household of God. Members. 
You see, we're not just members. I mean, we, we talk about being a member of the local church and it has its place and, and emphasis for various reasons. Uh, but this is not what the scripture is talking about. This is talking here about the universal church of Jesus Christ uh, in which we are born again and born from above and we are now members of the household of God. In actual fact, the, 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 the reference here to the household of God is, a, is, is interchangeable in terms of uh, that as it relates to the church. The church, in essence, is the household of God. Now, we're not talking about a church building. We're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. But yet, we find various references to a building, as we'll see but in a spiritual sense, not in a physical or natural sense. And so we're no longer strangers and foreigners. We're fellow citizens. We're members of the household of God. And that word household means those of his own house. Thank the Lord. Thank God that, that we, are, we can hold that position in Christ. But you see in verse 20, Paul goes on further and he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief, the, uh, the chief cornerstone. Now again, I want you to note the, the, the uh, imagery that Paul is using here, having been built on the foundation. See, the whole thing and the whole emphasis here is something of a structure, or if you want to use it, a building, as you'll see, he uses the word. And so this is important for us to understand because it, it takes uh, a reference to the fact that Jesus in Christ himself is the chief cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You see, the, the cornerstone is, is the most important part of the structure. If you're going to build a, a building or a structure of some sort, uh, then it was imperative uh, that the chief cornerstone that was laid was, uh, was solid, was large, was perfect, because the whole structure was going to be built upon that. So here we have uh, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now this was foretold by the prophets. This is not a new concept. In Isaiah chapter 28, you have the word uh, in verse 16. The Bible says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This is symbolic and is prophetic of Christ himself who is the chief cornerstone and so when we talk about that when Jesus said I when he said to Peter upon this rock I will build my church the rock here is Christ himself the revelation when Jesus said to Peter who do you say that I am and he said uh, some say here some say that but I Jesus said but who do you say that I am you're Jesus the Christ and he says flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you but my Father in heaven and upon this rock, upon this revelation that I am the Christ, I will build my church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the rock. And the foundation is, consists and rests upon, the scripture says, the prophets and the apostles. Note the prophets because uh, the, what we're talking about uh, is something that was foretold right through the Old Testament. It wasn't something that was just conjured up. Oh, it's, it's the New Covenant. Well, you know where the New Covenant came from? The Old Covenant. And it was contained within uh, and the prophets spoke extensively of it. And so the foundation of the church uh, goes way before uh, Jesus arrives on the scene and establishes the church. It was something that was always in the mind of God, always in the plan and purpose of God. And so when we talk about the foundation, we're talking about this whole Bible. Right from the book of Genesis and right through to the book of Revelation, you find this emphasis and that relates to the prophets and the apostles. That which relates to the Old Testament saints and that which relates to the New Testament saints. 
the apostles form the foundation of which the household of God is built upon. Now he uses in verse 21 and then in the next couple of verses a few more words that I want to bring to your attention. And again, keeping in mind this whole aspect of a building, a structure, chief cornerstone and so forth. But in verse 21, Paul refers to it in whom, speaking about the household of God and speaking about the church of Jesus Christ, he says in whom the whole building, the whole building. See, it's, and so this is the, we're not talking now about a building in which the temple was the Old Testament. You know, it was a structure that was made by Solomon and the stones that were cut and, and, uh, and the way it was all laid out there according to how David had set it forth by the Spirit of God and, uh, and Solomon built that temple. You see, that building is, is something that was made with hands. Uh, the building and the whole building that Paul's referring to is not a physical building, uh, but a spiritual building. Uh, and this is the nature of the structure. And it speaks corporately about the church, about the corporate church of Jesus Christ, of which we have been born into and which we are a part of. This is the universal church. This is what we call the body of Christ. And in a sense, it's not physical, but it's, it's spiritual and mystical, in a, and if, if, if we can use that word in its proper context. Because we're talking about, uh, even though we physically are sitting here and are, uh, are present today, we realise that, that we are part of, of something that's far greater than us. We're talking about a whole building that is universal, that is international, that we're talking about that has members of the household of God, the church of Jesus Christ, and I say the true church, amen? Because there's uh, that, that which professes to be the church but is not the church. But nevertheless, Jesus will build his church. Now, the whole building... That word building is structure. The whole structure means in the Greek. Now listen to verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together. Being fitted together. You see again, this, this, uh, this comes back to the fact, you know, when Jesus said, I will build my church. And now the whole building is being fitted together. And the picture is of a, it's a, use it as, an, as, a, as a carpenter. Jesus was not just a physical carpenter, he's a spiritual carpenter, if you want to use it that way. And he, he fits, he is building his church, and the scripture says that we are, are being fitted together. That word in the, in, in the King James, it means fitly fitted framed together and in the Greek it means to organise compactly and to join together. And so when we are born into the church, God places us into the body of Christ. Amen. He sets us amongst a, a local assembly in which we are birthed and in which we are part of the body of Christ and we are fitted and we are joined together by God. This is not a human endeavour and a human initiative. This is not the work of the pastor. He doesn't build the church or any of the elders. It is Christ, amen, and he is the one, the scripture says, who, fit, who fitly frames us together and joins us together for this very purpose. In actually chapter 4, it talks about it as well. Uh, in verse 16, it says, from whom the whole body, referring to the household of God, the church, the body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. It talks about edifying itself and growing. See, there's that issue of growth. And we'll get to that as well in a moment. But again, you're seeing this foundational structure, the church, the household of God, the whole building being fitted together. Now turn with me to First Peter chapter 2. Because here we have some further insight and reference to this very aspect that we're considering. And Peter writes about it in his epistle. 
And he says in chapter 2, verse, starting from verse 4, now it says, Coming to him, that is to Jesus, as to a living stone. Now listen to that. Again, this is the comparison. This is a building, a structure. A living stone. You see, when they built the physical temple, they had stones. But they were dead stones, so to speak. But the Bible says we are living, a living stone. Rejected indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means put to shame. And it goes on. We won't read the rest of that, but the point is being made. Now the two keys here is one, a living stone, and two, Peter refers to it in verse 5, we are being built up a spiritual house. So again, here are these metaphors, they're the same. They're all interconnected. And we would do well to note this and to identify it because it gives us great insight. And so we're being built up a spiritual house. This is in the corporate aspect of the church itself universally. See, Peter refers to it as a spiritual house in verse 5 and Paul in our text back in verse 21 refers to it as the whole building. But they are the same. But Paul goes now a little bit further and he uses another expression that I want to bring us and focus in on in verse 21. He says, In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord grows into a holy temple. You see, I, and, and there must be a distinction that is made because again in first chapter 4 verse 16 it talks about the growth of the body by, by, by what each one of us joined together supply each other, amen, because we're all part of the process of maturing as Christians, correct? It's not just as a teacher and as a pastor, as an elder and those, but amen, we all have something to offer. And we're all joined together and, uh, and, and part of this growth. But you see, there's the issue in which we are, are in Christ Jesus, but then there's the other aspect in which we are to grow into Christ. So Paul's speaking about a holy temple. And this growth is twofold. It has to do with the growth of the body as a church, as we mature, but it also has to do with our individual d development, doesn't it? And so that's why we talk about maturity on two fronts, because uh, it's, 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 as each individual matures in the Lord, the, the church itself matures in a corporate sense, and so the two are interconnected. We're talking about growth. But see, Paul uses this word, a holy temple. And this word holy in the Greek, uh, in this instance, refers to the most sacred and the most holiest. You see, the household of God, the structure, the building, the spiritual house, the Bible refers to it as a holy temple. It is the most holy of holies. You see, the church is not... So many people think of the church in some physical sense or if they understand, yet the church is the people of God. But do we grasp the immense sacredness of the church? Because the Bible says it, is, grows, it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. See, these are the two distinct features as we talked about before. Remember at the beginning I said that that which relates to a, the issue of holiness and in verse 22 we talk about the dwelling place of God in spirit but they're the, the two key characteristics and features and we understand that that is how it's always been, hasn't it? The, even under the Old Testament in the Holy of Holies the, the, the high priest could only enter once a year and not without blood on the day 
of atonement. And so, because we realized that men could not approach God because God was holy and man was unholy. But you see, in Christ Jesus, amen, in Christ we are, and Ephesians talks about this, we are of our position. It talks about that we have been made holy in verse, <clears throat> verse uh, uh, 3, 4 of chapter 1, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. So there's the issue of positional sanctification or positional holiness, if you want to call it. But then there's the other issue of, of, of growth in sanctification and holiness. And the scripture's making emphasis here of growing into a holy temple. You must understand that distinction. Grows into a holy temple. <coughs> you see, that's why we find exhortations in the Bible to pursue holiness without which no one can see the Lord. That's why we find in Corinthians uh, the exhortation to perfect holiness in the fear of God. And we find those emphases uh, in the pursuit and the perfecting of holiness. And so obviously I understand this is not related to uh, our works as such, but this is a, Hebrews talks about the discipline of God, it talks about the Holy Spirit uh, at work in the Bible, and so we're talking about yielding the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Holiness is a fruit, we bear fruit to God, and that relates to the righteousness and holiness of our lives in which we are separated from the world. We are growing into a holy temple, you see, when I first got saved, I, I, I became the temple of God. But was the temple of God holy? Yes, in, in standing. But was it holy in practice? Hmm. Is it still holy in practice? Hmm. <laughs> I haven't arrived yet. Have we all got room for growth? Okay, praise the Lord. Okay, we're on the same page then. But you see, I just want to impress and emphasize a holy temple because there's lots of things that can defile the temple of God. And that's what I just want to bring your attention to because right throughout the Bible we have this issue of holiness. Right throughout the scriptures we find uh, old and new that God is holy. And so when Paul refers to a holy temple, he's doing that deliberately because it's not just a temple, it's a holy temple. And uh, um, we, the, the, the church, according to God, is, is holy. Not just, so the church, which is the temple, is holy. And then the Christian, amen, is holy. And so these three aspects of the Christian life are fundamental and we must uh, align our lives to that, so to speak. And so holiness must be pursued and it must be perfected. You know, God is doing a work in each of us. Amen. But you know, one thing, and I just want to touch on this briefly. I could spend a lot more time in this, but I won't. I just want to throw it out there, but just so that we can understand what we're talking about here. But, you know, this, we talked about the fact that we're living stones. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, you know, when the, when the temple itself was being built under Solomon, and the stones were being cut out, and then they were being carved in order to be prepared to put onto the structure and to build the temple. Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. It says, And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. You see, again, we're getting a picture. And you see, because God is at work in our lives. Amen? And yet God does have the hammer out. His, his word is a hammer, the Bible says. A chisel. is uh, The Bible's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And so God, through the ministry of preaching and teaching and through our, our, as we read the Bible and uh, as he works in our lives, amen, we all sit here, it's awfully quiet, but I know that God's got the hammer out, amen? I know that the chisel is out. God's wanting to work in our hearts and in our lives because he wants that stone, amen, to be perfectly fitted. Perfectly fitted. It's chosen, it's, been sec it's secured, but you see now it has to be fitted. 
and it must grow into a holy temple. And this is a process. And so this is how God is working in our lives. And this is exactly how it was that in the temple there was no... They couldn't hear the hammer and the chisel because when it came to the temple, ultimately it was perfectly fitted. And that's where we're working towards in the ultimate sense. Praise the Lord. But you see, when we talk about a holy temple, we can interpret this in three ways and this is what I want to focus on for a moment because we're going to relate to this issue of holiness for a moment. But you see, in our text that we've been looking at, Paul is referring to the universal church. He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ, the household of God in the corporate sense, the building, the whole building, the spiritual house, and so forth. That incorporates the whole thing. But you see, and this is, is, being, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. But you see, that's just one aspect of the expression of the church. There are other aspects that we find in the scripture and this is what I want to bring to your attention. And I, mean, I know that you're familiar with them and I believe I've touched upon them before. But you see, there's the aspect that relates to the church locally, the local church. You see, because as we sit here this morning, we are the local church. We are part of the universal church, but we all can't be together in that sense. So here we are locally in our, where we live and we come to this assembly. But and so we are the, the, the extension of the universal church with the expression of the local church and the same principle and rule applies to us as we sit here this morning. It doesn't shift nor does it change. We are the temple of God. The church is the temple of God. And the local church is to be taken very seriously as we find it is by God in Scripture. And again, the issue of holiness cannot be underemphasized. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because we're talking again about holiness and the temple and Paul is writing to the church at Corinth in relation to the issues that they're dealing with and in chapter 3 there's division and, and there's a number of things that are, are going on and so Paul's talking about his ministry and, and trying to bring about a spiritual mindedness but you see the church is suffering for various reasons and in verse 16 of chapter 3 Paul is talking to the local church, the church at Corinth. And he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Now he's talking to the church. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's the issue of dwelling again. It's a dwelling place. Now verse 17, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. And so again, there's the distinction, there's the emphasis. The, the church is a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, the local church. And therefore, being the temple, you are the temple of God, the temple must be holy. And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy them. See, that's pretty heavy language, isn't it? It's very potent and serious and heavy. But it's there for a reason. And this word, defile, is literally in the Greek. It, it means, even though Paul's talking in a sense about false doctrine and things that are, have, have come into the church, it's, it goes way beyond that. And this word that we find here, defile, in the Greek literally means to shrivel or wither. If anyone defiles the church, God will destroy them. And so a church can be defiled. It can be spoilt. This is what the word means. It means to ruin by moral influences, to deprave, to corrupt, to defile, to destroy. Now, it means to pine or waste away. To think that, and that's what we've seen. Church history tells us exactly this has happened, doesn't it? Churches, when, when the church has been defiled, this is exactly what happens to the local church. And you know what's interesting? The scripture says anyone who defiles the temple of God, God will destroy them. That word destroy is exactly the same Greek word, defile, in the same verse. And so, in other words, if we defile the church of God, then God will defile us. 
And so, again, now think about that, because the, 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 the destruction will take place in such a way, that the, the, according to the scripture, the word means to shrivel or wither. People are dying on the vine. To spoil. To ruin by moral influences. And so, you know, think about that for a moment, because, you know, the judgment of God isn't just, you know, come into the church you know, it's and just it's just going to destroy everyone. It doesn't work like that. You know, when you know, um, in chapter we get an example of it because in chapter 11, where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and they are making an abuse of the Lord's Supper, and he says to them that many of you that this is why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you or many of you are dying. He says. This is exactly what's happening. This is, this is, that's an exact fulfillment of what Paul has just referred to in chapter 3. They are being destroyed. They are, they are withering. They are, they are bearing the penalty of their sin in their own lives. That's what it's saying. And so they, they, they're shriveling. They're withering up spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. They're weak. And this is not how God would have it. But you see, the temple of God is holy. And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will defile them. That's what the scripture is teaching us. And so I, I bring this forward just to highlight this, the, this, the sacredness and seriousness of what we're dealing with here. Because the church is a temple. And it's a holy temple. That's why Paul says, don't you know that you're the temple of God? And the temple of God is holy. Holy. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, we find Paul's talking to the church in this particular text as well. But it would do well for us to read it. Verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Now listen to it. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Let's just stop there because I, I know that James has, Brother James has, has done a recently a Bible study with the youth and young adults in relation to um, uh, this issue, I believe. Is that right, James? You touched upon this. And I know it's a, it's a live issue amongst people that are here and amongst youth and young adults. And I want you to take heed in the context of everything I've been talking about because Paul says, do not be, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? These are all questions. Well, the first one's a command in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked. But then he presents a, uh, uh, some uh, rhetorical questions in relation to this. And you know what the answer is? None. There's no agreement. There's nothing in common. Because we're talking about the temple of God. Now listen carefully. Go in verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. For, uh, and God has said, I will dwell in them. Now notice the emphasis again is holiness and dwelling in them. It's the same pattern. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate or be holy, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's your motivation. You're the temple of God. 
What's the motivation to live right, to, be, to perfect holiness in flesh and spirit? Is the fact that you are the temple of God. And the temple of God is holy. Holy. And so when I talk about this morning the issue that relates to um, uh, uh, holiness, it is important too that when we talk about um, being separate, when it says in verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You know, we know that old Israel, they fell into idolatry many, many times as you read the Bible. You know, here is the temple and the Holy of Holies and you read through and you see on occasions that they erected idols in the temple and corrupted and defiled it. But you see, it wasn't just that in the literal sense. God gives a vision to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 8 and he takes him through in a vision through the, uh, the, the rooms and chambers of the temple and what are they doing there? They're committing idolatry and God, and God says to Ezekiel, this is what the children of Israel are doing in their hearts. See, it's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And idolatry is something that applies the same way into the Christian life is we as Christians, we, can, we are warned not to practice idolatry. So the question is then, well, what is idolatry? How could we define it? Because idolatry will defile the temple of God. Idolatry is varied. But in essence, an idol is anything we want more than God. Anything we want more than God. We rely on, anything we rely on more than God. Anything we look to for greater fulfillment than God. You see, idolatry is the hidden sin that drives all other sins. And it's true. The fruit of other aspects of our lives and, and the sins that, we, that can be committed are generally the result of, you know why? Because it's about me. Me. Idolatry, self, the idol of self. Because it's about my pleasure, my future, my life. Me, 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 and me, and me. <laughs> and that's the language of the world, isn't it? That's, the, that's the, the very thing that they constantly, they drum and drum and drum. But you see, that is the, a lie from the pit of hell because that is not, your life is not your own. And more than that, he who loses his life will find it. You see, so we are called to forsake self. We are called to uh, cast away all of those things that would replace the very aspect of God being centre of our lives. See, Jesus is Lord and Saviour. And if, uh, he must exercise that Lordship in your life because it's very easy to push him aside and just live according to the way we want to live. So you have these issues of the world that we have to deal with. That's why the Bible says that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, John 2.15, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so we must not fall into that trap of idolatry because remember, we are a temple, a holy temple, and we cannot afford to defile the temple. That's why it's a tragedy to see in churches today and I've been in churches where the world is so infiltrated the church. The world. And they call it Christianity. They call it, can you feel the presence of God? Can you feel the Holy Spirit? No, you're just feeling some feelings. That's what you're feeling. I'm not saying you can't sense the Holy Spirit because I believe you can. But I'm saying that the atmosphere that they create with the lights and the darkness and, the, and all the touchy-feely stuff and then say, can you feel the Lord? That ain't the Lord. It's idolatry. But you see, these are issues that we have to grapple with and we have to take into context as we read the scriptures and the exhortation is holiness. Holiness. Now, we've touched upon the universal church, we've touched upon the local church, but again, I want to bring your attention to one last thought because there's three aspects to this, and that is us individually. You are the temple of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Paul makes this clear. <clears throat> and the context is he's speaking in this instance about sexual immorality and you can read that for yourself in the previous verses. But he's talking about fleeing sexual immorality because every sin, he says, that is done by man is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body because there's something about the nature of sexual sin that is destructive to the human soul. That's why in a sexual promiscuous society and, people, and in all that's going on in the world around us uh, and uh, they're, they're telling people at the age of 12, 13 to practice this, do this, do that, do that and then they get older and they have all these problems and they wonder why. <laughs> they wonder why. Because they are violating the law of God. But let's look at the Christian and how this applies because Paul says to the church in verse 19, Actually, we'll read verse 18 if we can, sorry. We'll read verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body, this is individual, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Your body belongs to God. Your spirit, soul and body. And so uh, I understand that there's a, there's a war that rages in each of us because we are, the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit uh, and none of us are exempt uh, from this battle. But God has made provision for it, praise the Lord. But nevertheless, it is important that you understand that your body is the temple of God. That's what Paul has said. And uh, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is who is in you? No, there it is again. God dwelling, who is in you, and the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God dwells in a holy temple. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Spirit. And all these aspects relate to a withdrawal of God, Spirit. So you can, and that's why the exhortation of Scripture is to be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Because uh, the, the opposite is true. You cannot be filled. You can be empty. And so don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? you are not your own, you're bought at a price. And so, again, I just want to emphasize this issue of the body because, and of the mind and the soul and the spirit, the whole person, because defilement can come. And thank God that there is cleansing and there's forgiveness, as Brother James pointed out. But I'm just saying that there, we're dealing with serious issues, church. And things that, these are things not to be played with. These are things that are not to be taken lightly. We must understand, and more than that, we must heed and obey. Now let me conclude because I know, and I've already made the point but in verse 22 of Ephesians which is the last verse of our text that we've read Paul again makes the emphasis when he says in whom you also are being built Together, there's a, again that same emphasis and structural building are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And this is what we want, church. We want the presence of God. We want the dwelling place of God. We want this temple personally to be holy. We want the temple of God, which is uh, the church, local church, to be holy. And the universal church, God, uh, will, uh, is, is, is at work to cause that growth of holiness. But nevertheless, it is something that we must understand and we must apply to our lives. And so I just want to, uh, in one, it, it's an encouragement first and foremost because it gives us an understanding of the purpose of God for you and I. But then it challenges us. And more than that, it may convict us because, uh, who was it, Joel spoke of, um, and made great emphasis about conviction this morning. 
Because I tell you, if any of us are beyond the conviction of God, God help us. You know, sometimes we pray and we pray, Lord, have your way. Whether that's to comfort, whether it's to correct, whether it's to, um, um, to challenge, or whether it's to convict. But sometimes we have to be convicted. And we have to be sensitive and say, you know, because God, amen, if we're a living stone and we are being chiseled by God, then I tell you, God's going to access areas of our lives sometimes that we don't want Him to go near to you. Because God says, listen, you're, you're t- uh, you belong to me. Your body is mine. Your life is mine. This church is mine. That's why sin, open sin and rebellion has to be judged in the church because little leaven leavens the lump. And the church is holy. And you can't practice unrighteousness and sin in, a, in, that open, in, in an open, rebellious manner and come into the house of God. It's a contradiction. Are you with me? But thank God we're a dwelling place of God in spirit. And I thank God that we can come into the house of God amongst the household of God and what every joint supplies. Because you know what? It's coming to church, amen, amongst the, in the presence of God, amongst the people of God, that we can walk out of this place and feel refreshed. We can feel encouraged. We can be strengthened. And I tell you, when we, when we go out and we live in the world and do all that we do, amen, I, I tell you what, I'll be honest with you, church is, once a week, church for me is not enough. It's too long. I need to be in fellowship with God's people. I need to be studying the Bible with God's people. I need to uh, uh, be in constant fellowship with, the, with God's people because we feed off each other. We encourage each other. Each joint supplies something to the other. And it's in that union and it's in the dwelling place of God that's in, in our midst. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, I'm there in the midst of them. See, there's, there's, a, there's a dimension, there's a principle there. That's why it's good to get together. You know, I'm just the Iron Ranger Christian. You can't live that way. You will not survive. You might be alive, but you will look a bit weird. And so... I think I've said enough. <laughs> My point has been made. And I pray that the Lord speaks to each of us in his own way. But be blessed this morning. And God bless you. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of your spirit. God, we are a holy temple in the Lord. We're growing into a holy temple. None of us have arrived yet, Lord, that we realize the imperative and importance of the issue of holiness and how it relates to a holy temple. The temple of God must be holy. And where, where, where it's defiled, Lord, there is, a, there is a discipline, there is judgment. Judgment begins in the house of God. And Lord, let us take heed to these things and let us pursue holiness and perfect holiness in the fear of God. And be separate. Be separate. Make decisions. Stop compromising. Stop flirting with the world, Lord. But let us be decisive. Let us, Lord, make those choices. And Lord, let us separate ourselves and sanctify ourselves. And Lord, as we repent, as we turn to you, God, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.